Shut up and sit down. Everybody, um, small chat room. That's okay. Uh, <clears throat> Julie threw me off. <laughs> she totally threw me off. <laughs> Tonight we're going to talk about. Uh, last time we had a podcast, we kind of got like in the last two minutes. Um, we kind of got um, off on a little sentinel tangent, so we decided to talk about sentinels and. Uh, telling short stories versus long stories because all of our signal challenges on rough trade have been short story challenges. Um, so we're going to do that. And um, I did finish my rough trade tonight. It is uh, only 21 K, uh, but I finished, I finished what I wanted to write. So I'm satisfied with that. And um, it was, uh, yeah, I'm satisfied. I, it, it, it really is the opening gambit to a series an episode series, probably it is is definitely a pilot episode of, of something. I don't know what um, I'll do with it. Uh, I just I have no idea. I, I have no idea what I will do with it. Um, there was a whole race subplot that I just took completely out, um, and so um, that's why it's as short as it is now because it was originally going to be around fifty two, but um, I took out the race arrival and um, just you know, let it go. So just uh, kind of cut my stress and um, finished it. And um, uh, I have some ideas and I, I, I laced some, some, some plot points in that weren't originally part of what I had plotted. Uh, so um, there's a, there's a big one. There's a big thread in that in that last little chapter, and when I post it, it'll just be one big story. It won't be chaptered because um, I'm gonna like, kind of you know tweak it a little bit. Um, but uh, it, I have a big thread that I, that I put in that last 4K that um, has the potential to be mind blowing. So uh, that was uh, when it came to me, I was like, oh well, why didn't I plot that to begin with? Oh my god! And then I did it. I was like, yay! So we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm going to put Jilly on the air, uh, and, um, my penguin enclosure, my penguin enclosure just finished. So I was just buying penguins. I bought penguins on township and I named them Blake and Gwen. (laughs) 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 Because I should name my, to be, to make this sad, I should name mine, like, I don't know, Adam and Jennifer or something, but (laughs) I actually just named them. Lord Holder and Lady Holder, just for giggles. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to name the baby penguins, though. So, I'm going to Anna McCaffrey. <laughs> but, um, 
that's really funny because the penguin in the in the township game, the the male penguin, you get him first. He has an egg. If you get in real that's close, it? he's sitting. Yeah, he um he has a little egg, and every once in a while he'll take it out and hold it, and cuddle oh. it, and then put it back under. Oh, there's the and egg. And the ha- and the little and the little female penguin. She jumps in the water to eat and never brings the male anything. <laughs> He's just sitting there on the egg. <laughs> so I hatched him a baby because, come on, he's working hard. <laughs> Blake was working hard. <laughs> that is some hard-ass work that those penguins go through, both the male and the female. they got some hard work yeah. to do. Yeah, they do. If you haven't, yeah, seen, that, if you haven't seen March of the Penguins, four. I don't, I don't, I don't know what you've been doing with your life. Right? It's great. I love that. But um, yeah, Sentinels. It's Sentinels. But the penguin spirit animal. <laughs> we have our priorities. Um, one of the things we've talked, we talked about, like in 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 prior. Things when we're working on plots, I think like the last little black dress we did that we both were kind of just feeling kind of uninspired, and we were talking about one of the things, one of the reasons is because in short story format, it's a little bit difficult to get beyond. Um, which I think for that challenge, I uh, wanted our limit might have been twenty k, but um, it's a little bit hard to get past the just the setup of that meeting and bonding and that that that. That's like a, that's a 20k arc right there, is your setup for how they came online or why they came online or just that whole little plot thread that leads to them getting together and bonding can easily run into even above 20k. And so it was hard to kind of come up with an idea of like what could I do that feels different to me that that sort of defies that um, that setup. And really the only way to do it to get more a lot more in than than that setup that which is which is kind of more of a a little bit more of a contemporary romance type thing, but with paranormal overtones, is to have them already be together and then write some other story. Um some mm-hmm. some plot driven short story with a couple that's already bonded. Um but that's really different when you approach like a novel length sentinel story. Um you have a lot more latitude like you did in the awakening to have both them getting together and that dynamic and the evolving relationship, as well as do something plot driven, uh, which right. I find to be, there's, there's so much you can do in plot driven Sentinel stories. And I think that's one of the reasons why I don't run out of ideas on it yet, even though I kind of start to get like burned out on it, on the tropes sometimes it's because I haven't really, but like once really explored, um, plot-driven Sentinel story, you know, a long, long novel length. Um, so I keep plotting them. <laughs> Not really spending a lot of time writing them, but I keep plotting them. <laughs> Look, there is nothing wrong with our township cult as, except the rooster chicken. I mean... <laughs> The rooster chicken. Well, the pigs. I, I'm having issue with the pigs. Um, pigs are pitiful, but the roosters are ridiculous. Roosters don't lay eggs. No, no roosters, roosters are male, and they don't lay eggs. 
in our game, we don't have hens. We have roosters. And they're laying eggs. <laughs> hey, egg preg, thank you very much. It's it's something. It's whatever's it's been, whatever's been genetically modifying these these roosters need to have a stern talking to. It's just terrible. It's terribly traumatizing. Um, anyway, so we want to, um, we, 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 we do want to have non-binary poultry. Um, <laughs> I sure. guess you could put it that way. Sure. I'm, I'm good with that. Or you could call them really gender fluid. Really gender fluid. Um, So, Sentinel novels. Um, and the thing is, the more we talk about, like when we get to talking about Sentinel ideas, the more we talk about it, the more ideas I get. I'm like, oh, that could be good. Oh, that could be good. Oh, that could be good. You threw an idea out about the woods and plains and stuff the other day. I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. <laughs> you could slap any character down in the wilderness, plane crash, um, with the partner of your choice and make them a Sentinel. <laughs> Yay! I mean, like it's like it's a good setup for somebody coming online, right? It's like, oh, what are they doing out there in the woods? Well, I have some ideas about what they might be doing in the woods. I mean, you know. Nothing wrong with what they might be doing in the woods. (laughs) All woodland activities are on the table. No, there'll be no fucking trees. Wrong fandom. Of course, I don't know what the right fandom is for tree fucking. I guess the Hobbit. (laughs) I was thinking Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Yo, tree beard, dude. You're looking mighty so, fine today. <laughs> My purse fell on the floor. It was terrible. Man down. Well, one does have to wonder where the ant wives went. <laughs> that's where they got to be around somewhere. I like the idea that they're just sleeping. They're just having a really long nap. I, I think I saw that in a story where the the ant wives are sleeping in the was that were yours and and the ants didn't know where they were. They'd forgotten where they where they where they where they where they put them. It's canon that they don't know where the wives are. That that they lost them. Um. But yeah, in um, Spiritborn, Bella wakes up a um, an aunt wife who decides she's gonna go with them, and Thorin makes her a hammer. 
Thank you, Thorin. They're like, did you really need to give the tree a weapon? Was that really necessary? <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. She just casually uses a warg for a for a ball. <laughs> okay, the, the tree can keep her weapon. <laughs> but yeah, that's in Spiritborn. I don't know if that part's actually on EAD or not. Um, but yeah, Bella wakes a... Um, an an ant wife and Thorin um, uh, doesn't really get a choice about whether or not well the ant wife goes where she wants <laughs> let's put it that way <laughs> you really don't tell the ant where to go <laughs> her name is Adara she does what she wants <laughs> Look, I go where I want, asshole. You ain't going to tell me what to do. Okay, so Sentinel, longer Sentinel novels. Um, you know, the funny thing is I'm so used to um, working on the shorter format that um, I did I, I did plot um, a, a, a longer Sentinel. Uh, the, the entirety of the Stick around verse will be longer, but it it really is it is it is a romance and it is a longer version of that whole lead up, you know. Um, mm. So that one's not exactly the like the best example because it's like taking that whole lead up, that setup, that whole setup thing, that whole setup idea of them getting together and making it drawing it out over like sixty k instead of doing it in my usual twenty five. <laughs> For when you are in a feeling like you need a really a longer romance novel, and that's what I wanted to write for that story. Is I wanted to write a romance novel. So, well, I wanted to write when I started The Awakening. Um, I um, I was just I was just deeply in love with the Sentinel fandom. I was uh, I was so enamored with the with the, with the whole thing, and I just kind of wanted to. to be a part of the fandom and participate and I wanted to tell a case fic and but I also wanted that whole bonding thing you know because that's really you know sexy and romantic with the sentinel and um I actually started the awakening more than once um and um I had a couple different versions and I have actually like four or five uh sentinel works in progress um so I was trying to find my my lane, right? And mm-hmm. um, I I wrote the awakening, and um, I always harp about the negative attention I got from um, the Sentinel fandom, but I also got an overwhelmingly positive response as well. I got um, I I won awards for it, and people voted for me and nominated me and um, people were super excited. It is, it is still getting hits to this day. It averages between 500 and a thousand hits a month um, on my site. So people are still reading it. You know, they're, they're coming back to it. Um, (laughs) I love you too, lady holder. It was uh, the unlikely and the unwilling for me. (laughs) <laughs> but um it 
I can't say that the Sentinel fandom um, didn't ruin it for me. I mean, because they did. A small part of the Sentinel fandom ruined the whole fandom for me. Thank you. So it's hard to, yeah. So it's hard to to um, really appreciate how much I. I, mean, I really enjoyed writing The Awakening. I put a lot of effort into it. Um, and uh, it was, you know, it was my word baby. And I was, you know, just trying to write something awesome to give back to that fandom because I was enjoying myself so much there. And, um, well, we know what we got. We we know what I got in return <laughs> for good and bad. Yeah, it is. There, there are definitely some aspects of 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 awakening that are that are that are difficult read, um, but but it's a it's a beautiful story. Um, you know, I expected to get some flack for the child killing, but I didn't. Every single bit of negative piece of feedback I got for The Awakening was about my portrayal of Blair. He was too competent. He was too strong. He um, uh, he was um, out of character. I got that one a lot. Um, and um, I didn't adhere to the acceptable core traits of what Blair was to these people. Um, because, you know, but the thing is, you have to remember that in the Sentinel fandom, there is there is a selection of people who have an undercurrent that treat guides basically like slaves. And in some cases, yeah. actual slaves. Um, so, and they just, they my story did not meet their needs, and so therefore um, I needed to be abused for it. You know, it's like, do you ever see something and you, and you see this, um, you see this summary and you think, oh, this looks so great. I'm going to enjoy this so much. And then you click on it and it's got a pairing you'll never read in a million years and you get furious and you close it. And if you're normal, you just close it and go on about your life. But if you're not normal... You go over your email or you comment and cuss the author out for not meeting your expectations. Yeah, because how dare they write what they want to write as opposed to writing what you want to read, I guess. So here they were confronting with this, confronted with this complete novel-length uh, Sentinel story in their fandom that didn't meet their expectations and so that they lashed out. Poor little snowflakes. And that's the only thing I can think, you know? Yeah. Well people do that is they want they you know, what they like to read is blah and when they don't get whatever that is, they get mad. Which is just crazy. Like I had some we all- um Complain to we me really all about the same um, thing. right? But hold my coffee and how they wished it was written with Rodney instead of Meredith. The thing is, is that hold my coffee would not exist with Rodney. 
Because I don't write girl with a dick. And I could not slot Rodney into Meredith's position in that story and it still be the same story. Oh, people, people, people. I would love a Frappuccino right now. It would make my day. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's like they don't understand um, that the story would be fundamentally different if it was McKay, if it, if it, if it was Rodney instead of Meredith. Um, there's just no... Right, well, the whole point, yes, the whole point of Hold My Coffee is that McKay is a woman and how that would have changed... Um, her path at the SGC and how it would have changed her life experiences and her personality and that women and men aren't interchangeable. And one of the most irritating things I see with gender bending in fandom is that they will put a traditionally male character into a female body and then give them the same exact experiences. They, I'm thinking to myself, bitch, are you crazy? Because men don't have the same experiences we have. Are you aware of this? The first time I told my husband not to park next to a van, he was looking at me like, why? Because it never would yeah. cross his mind not to park next to a van. Until I told him. I mean, you could... You could, I think you could write a woman who's in a very sheltered, privileged position in life who doesn't have some of those experiences, but Mm -hmm. it's still not going to be the same experiences that a sheltered man in a privileged position in life is going to have. No, it wouldn't be. It's just going to be different. So, I mean, you can construct, the the point is is that you, I think it's going to, you can construct something, but you have to acknowledge that there's going to be differences. Um, and people just, I don't know. I don't know why they don't want to deal except the fact that it's going to be different. A woman's experience in the world is vastly different than a man's. Across the board. And then if you put things like um, the difference between, say, a black woman and a white man in America, the divide is ginormous. Because the white straight man in America has it made. Our whole country is designed to make them happy. Just saying. It is a place of unspeakable privilege to be a white straight man in America. Especially if you're at least the middle class. Anyway, so Sentinel, Sentinel novels. So stuff that I think that it was really, The Awakening is a really great example of what you can explore in a novel something novel length that is a little bit harder to do in something that's short. 
And it would be fun to explore those things. Well, we have subplots and we have um, other pairings and other characters. Um, we have um, politics between Sentinels and um, non-Sentinels. We have um, we have tribal politics with Sentinels themselves and and how they manage their own um, um, pride. And so it's you know it was. There are there are all these different elements you can pull in when you've got a lot of space, and a large word count equals a lot of space. Um, but even when you have, I mean, even if you give yourself a hundred k, I I think it's important to to really really pay attention to your word economics. Um, the bigger your project is, the more you need to focus on your word economics because you've. When you're looking at a short story, um, you're going to cut your subplots. You're going to have one main plot. You're going to have a select number of characters. But when you're looking in a novel environment, you can have extra subplots. You can have lots of secondary characters. You want to keep your POV um, concise. Uh, really in the novel format, I, I hesitate to say you should ever have more than three points of view. Ever. Really, ideally, it should be two. Um, but you have to give yourself room to give a bad guy POV sometimes or a third faction or element, but especially in like in a romance novel, it's a his and her point of view. Um, in a suspense, it's most often told from the point of view of the person who is, um, seeking the truth, the cop, the detective, um, the private eye. Uh, but the more POVs you add, to a to a novel structure, the more you water down your narrative and you dilute the characteristics of your main characters. They start to not stand out as main characters. Right. And even if you're writing from even if you're even if you're actually able to write in an omniscient point of view and and, you, and let's say you actually do get a lock on that and you're able to get an omniscient point of view out that isn't head-hopping, if you focus on too many things, you still have the same problem. You still have the same problem of the diluted narrative, and your main characters are lost in, you know, focusing on 40 different things. Because that's not the function of an omniscient point of view. The omniscient point of view, the omniscient narrator does know everything, but it doesn't mean they're focusing on everything because it's, it makes everything feel unfocused and unstructured, and it causes, as we discussed the other night, a big pacing problem. A big pacing problem. I would actually recommend um, that 99% of you avoid the omniscient point of view. Um, it is uh, not a POV that I ever gravitate towards, Um it is uh, not something I enjoy reading, but more importantly, it is it is very difficult to do well. And when you don't do it well, you end up with a hot mess. And it is easier to fix a story when you have two or three POVs than it is when you have the God POV. Because it is a hot mess that never ends. 
from personal experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I Jilly is a deep third. Jilly is a very, very deep, intimate third person writer. I tend to write uh, a little on top of the third. Um, I like to uh comes from the fact that you're um that you're probably more naturally um inclined to write first person. That's where I started writing. Yeah. Mhm. I started writing. All my writing when I was younger was first person. Um, first person was natural. It felt natural to me was to write in first person point of view. Um, and when I first started writing in fan fiction, um, there were, I think there were quite a few reasons I found, well, there are a few, one of the reasons I stopped writing in first person point of view was I found I liked reading third person better than first, but it, you know, that had never been true when I was younger. So it could just be that it was done really badly a lot. <laughs> Um, badly written first person point of view is hard to read because the self reflective self reflexive that uh, self reflective nature of amateur first person point of view is 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 burdensome. It's annoying. I was going towards agonizing, but okay. Um, um, I have never. I couldn't. I could not point out to you a single excellent example of omniscient point of view in fandom. Not fandom, one. no. No. Um, it may exist, but it may be that I haven't read it. But the stuff I've read... Yeah, I mean, it may exist, somebody, but... Anytime I think somebody um, is trying it... For, a lot of times I'm wondering what's wrong with somebody's point of view, and then it'll be like, oh... Oh, they're trying to write an omniscient. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, baby, that's not how that works. Um, but yeah, it, omniscient um, is actually really, really rare, even in published works. I'm, I'm having a hard time picking one out, to be honest. Um, Hitchhikers. I mean, Hitchhikers is like to me like the example of good omniscient point of view. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but the narrator is like a separate character, and, and and so it's very easy to keep distinct. You know that it's it's an omniscient narrator because the narrator has so much presence in that story, which is unusual because usually when you're writing in third person omniscient, your goal is actually not to have that narrator have such a presence. So that was a little bit like it was so successful because it kind of defied defied the norm in a way. At least to me, I mean, I I love the narrator point of view in in Hitchhiker. So, um. it is um, not particularly marketable in today's modern fiction. Um, it is not a skill that I um, recommend uh, that you devote a lot of time to, because editors um, don't look for it. Um, it's a hard sell with the publisher. It's a hard sell with a reader. Um, you got to be really, really good at it. And oftentimes, your writing time would be better spent elsewhere. Really, honestly, um, the the third person narrative is is the most popular in in modern fiction when it comes to um, romance, science fiction, um, fantasy, um, uh, literary, women's fiction. Um, 
romantic fiction like Nicholas Sparks. Um, and but then you, um, but I think he also sometimes writes first person too. Uh, but um, and first person is really popular in um, in YA and in young adult, in young adult and in new adult. I would say. Um, but uh, for the most part, I think that you're you're better served as a writer to really master the third point of view, the third person POV, and figure out where your your voice is is most comfortable. Whether you're someone like me who tends to ride the top of the narrative, or if you're someone like Jilly who likes to you know dig a hole under her character. <laughs> <laughs> And follow it with them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone asked up above about an example of bad omniscient point of view. We've talked about this before. I don't. This is not bashing, but I think it's my assessment. She, I don't think she said this, but it's my assessment that um, JD Robb thinks she's ready at an omniscient point of view. I so, would agree. <laughs> Yeah, well, we've talked about yeah. what a headhopper she is. It it actually, in her case, it doesn't detract from the enjoyment of her work. No, but no, I love Jenny Roth. Yeah, she anybody is, who headhops that boom, much, boom. that much thinks they're thinks they're writing in an omniscient point of view. It's one of the it's one of the signs that the author thinks they're writing in omniscient is that they head hop like crazy. I used to have a T-shirt that said, "Don't headhop. You're not Nora Roberts." <laughs> I got it at a um, romance writers convention. Right, she can do it. You can't. But that would be an example. Normally, when somebody asks for an example of a, a bad example of something, I would normally not give that because we try not to talk specifically about her before and the head hopping. And we love her work. So this is a case of where she can do it, you can't. But it would be a case of bad omniscient point of view <laughs> if you want to look at it. Right. That way. I mean. I find the Indes series to be irritating as fuck. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Um, but uh, I trust her to to um, be careful with topics that could be upsetting for me, um, which isn't true for most writers that um, I encounter professionally. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, she gets away with that because she's Nora Roberts. Mm-hmm. And... Writers that are at the top of their field that have done, you know, that have a huge following, despite their quirks, get to indulge in their quirks. Most newer writers can't get away with that. You're going to have to. It, that's why. That's why. The Philosopher's Stone was such, such a much shorter book <laughs> because J.K. Rowling can't couldn't get away with writing an epic. On trying to get her and then by the published. time Deathly Hallows came along, they were like, oh, fuck it. Just do what you want, honey. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if she submitted 200 grade to her publisher now, they wouldn't even blink. They'd just publish it. They'd be like, okay. Sure. 200, 220K, we don't mind. <laughs> but also, when it comes to, I mean, we, we've talked before that there are there is room in fan fiction for doing things that you couldn't do in um, mainstream, you know, original fiction. I mean, 
as a new as a new writer, I wouldn't be able to get away with a 150k novel, but I can do that in fan fiction. Now, 150k could probably support more than three points of view. Um, maybe four. I think you're kind of stretching it, but you could go to four, depending upon the purpose. There needs to be a purpose for those points of view, right? There has to be. When it comes to point of view, if you're giving more than your two main characters a point of view, you need to have a reason for it. It can't just be because. Well, why do you need that additional point of view? Because, nope, not a good reason. Nope. For instance, if you've got four, let's say you've got four separate characters in separate, handling separate parts of the story, right? And they're all, in the rising action, they're all converging together. In a really long novel where you've got those four elements that are slowly being pulled together and woven together, you could probably support all four points of view, depending upon how you did it. And there, I would say that's probably a good reason to do that, but that wouldn't actually be a romance. That would be some other kind of novel, <laughs> because romance doesn't have four main characters. Unless they're all fucking each other. Well, Yeah. In which case, go ahead, go with four points of view. Um, <laughs> actually, <laughs> well, that sounds like erotica. I mean, you know, it just depends. I have this, I have this weird thing, and I have these weird like things in my head where I just have arbitrarily decided shit. It's like if it's a threesome, I expect three points of view, but if it's a foursome, I expect one point of view. Right? <laughs> you need to you need to moderate that shit for me, dude. <laughs> At some point, I expect you know some critical thinking about all of this. But I mean, that's like the rules that I have just made up is that if there are really four people in a relationship, I expect that to come through the lens of one person because four people in a relationship is too many points of view to manage in a romance. Three you can do if you have a longer Honestly, romance. Honestly, it's almost um, too much dick too. So, <laughs> well, True, but it could be two men, two women, depending on how you handle I don't that, even yeah. if there's too much dick in the bed. I don't. But... Um, I do have an issue with too much dick, but I, I have to wonder. Um, apparently, have an issue with too much pussy. Yeah, it was just the dick. <laughs> I can't help you with your that. limitations. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is, if you've got like let's say a threesome. I don't think you can do two points of view. I think you either have to have one or three. I mean, because there has to be a balance in your narrative. If you've got three main characters, but you're only giving two of them a point of view, it's going to feel like by virtue of the fact that you didn't give them a point of view that they're um, like an auxiliary partner, like they're not really a real part of the relationship. So you have to think about those kinds of things, to think about why am I doing what am I doing, and what point? What function does the point of view that I'm giving here serve? Um, I have seen stories, and I've done this, where there's like a different point of view in the prologue or the epilogue that never appears anywhere else in the story. Um, and the function of that often is to pull back and give a higher level perspective than you would get from that deep, intimate perspective of your main characters. So, for I instance, did it in when Child of Magic. Uh, there's um, a uh, auxiliary POV, and it's Lily's um, in the afterlife, and she's watching um, what's happening to Harry. Um, and the Lord of the Ma- and the Lord of Magic 
She says, nope, this this isn't going to work. <laughs> <laughs> but you usually see that either in a prologue, an epilogue, or sometimes an interlude. When you do it as an interlude, you have to be careful where you place it because it can murder your pace. Mm, definitely. Um, when it's but it can also be very good matter. about slowing your pace down. It, yeah. If your pace is too quick, if you're moving too fast through events and you need to give your reader a breather, um, a good way to do that would be an interlude. Um, like if you have a character like the Lord of Magic um, or whatever, you know, in your in your story, you can use an interlude like that to kind of break it up. Yeah. But it needs to be done with deliberation when you're inserting an, like a, a, a one, basically a one-time POV into a story. It's like, why are you putting it where you're putting it, and what's it going to do to the rest of your story? And I say especially in prologues that um, additional point of view is really common. You see that in fantasy novels a lot where there's like, you know, you're seeing the main character born or something um, and the setup for what what's happening in this kingdom or whatever it's going to be. Um, sometimes you see that in sci-fi. And the character doesn't have a point of view because they're coming out of the vagina, right? So it's not their point of view. <laughs> so it, it is a further back, distant point of view to give you a more global perspective. And then that point of view never occurs again, conceivably because the person whose point of view it was for the prologue died or they were a god or whatever. Um and then sometimes you get that same thing in an epilogue where like somebody will do an epilogue from a, a different character's point of view. And it's usually to give you distance to pull back and get a, an objective perspective on your characters and what's going on in their lives. Because it's weird, actually, if you're looking at like an epilogue five years down the road for a character to like, I don't know, go sit in a bar and muse on what's happened for the last five years. It's a little strange. <laughs> it's sort of like characters looking in the mirror and going over their physical attributes. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking actually about how I would end Darkly Loyal. Um, and um, I was considering an, an, an epilogue in Zira's point of view. I love that. So, um, because you're right, it would be really weird for, for Harry to be reminiscing about himself <laughs> in such a way. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very awkward it's a very awkward position to put somebody in. Um, but yeah, just the, um, I had this kind of image in my head of, of, of Zier watching um, the three of them and maybe a kid or two, you know, playing in the ocean on their island um, in in the future. And I don't know, it's just because it's, you know, so sometimes when you're, as you're wrapping up a project, and I'm very close with Dr. Lowell, um, you start to, you know, I, I start to visualize um, scenes and, and, and what I want to leave the reader with. And that's what I want to leave the reader with, with, with Zero being so, um, so pleased. Um, and them both, and all three of them being um, kind of free of all the crap they had to do and, and, and they had to deal with. So... Because that, that final be picture you leave your reader with is really important. Especially on a story, I mean, on a story with, if you've had a lot of angst or struggles or it's been highly emotional, 
um, I think it's really important to pick the tone that you're where you're where you're leaving it. Um, a lot of stories I read sometimes that are highly emotional, they hit this climax, and I don't have a problem with the steep falling action. What I have a problem with is that you've had 90k of angst and struggle, and 400 words of oh, it's all better now. And it's like no. <laughs> I don't think so. It doesn't feel resolved. It doesn't matter that, that the events are resolved. It doesn't matter that the climax in the story happened. It doesn't matter that they're all together and everything's better now. You had 90K of agony and 400 words of, thank God we're all, we're all together and everything's fine now. It feels terrible, <laughs> frankly. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's where if, if, somebody, if, if somebody's climbed to things being better is that long that's where I really want like you know an epilogue to leave things feeling better because I have to conclude they want the reader being left feeling that way <laughs> like what the hell For, the, for, the, for those of you who are strictly readers in the podcast audience, what we're talking about is that you ever read something and um, you get to the end of it and everything is resolved, but you go away feeling kind of let down. Um, that's because the the author didn't round out the picture for you. Um, but sometimes, no matter no matter the length of a story, when you get done with it, you're like, yes, that was great. I'm going to go read it again. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's because the writer has rounded out the bottom of her narrative, um, his or her narrative, just you know, her being general, um, and and given you a complete picture. So that letdown you get at the end of the book isn't um, isn't the same. Like oh, I hate to be done, but oh, that was so fucking good. Or there's a oh, I hate that I'm done and. Mm. There was, I don't know. (laughs) I'm kind of mad, and you don't know why, and that's why because the author hasn't um, uh, given you the full picture. I had I read a story recently, um, very recently. I actually read it last night. Um, Somebody'd been posting their nano project on Ao3, and I was following it but not reading it until they were done. So I didn't know, you know because I really do try to pick up works in progress on AO3. It happens every once in a while, but I I usually, 90% of the time I start reading a work in progress, I regret starting to read the work in progress. (laughs) Like, why did I do that? Um, So, but anyway, so I was following it to see if they finished it, and they did. So when when I saw the last chapter posted, I went to go read it. And um, every chapter had kind of the same arc, which was the same, there was this conflict that was not getting resolved. Um, and that was the thrust of this, the story, was this conflict was not resolvable, but people did not want to accept that it wasn't resolvable. So every chapter had basically the same arc, which is people trying to force this conflict to resolution. And um, the, the story ended basically on the same note, which was another chapter of... This, this conflict not getting resolved, except maybe this time one of the seven people got it through their head that the story, that things were going to be resolved. And it just, it felt so um, incomplete. It felt like 
we hadn't gone anywhere. It felt like it felt like I, you know, we circled the story, just circled the drain for 100k, almost 100k. Um, and 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 sometimes you just kind of get left with this, well, but now what? Kind of feeling at the end of the story, and it's really important to pick the tone that you want people to be left with. And and I doubt that anybody's goal ever is to leave people going, well, but now what? In kind of that tone, not. Oh, that was so good. Now what am I going to go read? Um, but as opposed to, but uh, I don't feel like anything was resolved because nothing was resolved. There was no, there was all this circling the drain and no resolution, except the fact that the story was marked complete. So it was except very, I think probably in that story, Thorin got lost in the Shire and never <laughs> went there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thorin is still lost in the Shire. Everybody else w- went. And it worked out. <laughs> They're like, should we go get him? <laughs> the dragon's oh, gone. We got no. the mountain. We're short of king. <laughs> We're short of well, He king. won't get the gold sickness if he stays in the Shire, but he might be lost for eternity. <laughs> so um, He's in the green dragon. <laughs> but at some point you want to resolve things. So it's just, I think it's important to bear in mind what your central conflict is, how you're resolving your conflict. And to some degree, how much of it, I mean, if you write a hundred thousand words and you're devoted 90,000 words to the central conflict and like the relationship building and everything else in your story was in that other 10,000 words, you probably are going to have to be careful about how you end that story. Otherwise, people will just walk away feeling conflicted. <laughs> like, wow, that was a lot of conflict. Or, like, a, a key example of leaving kind of a story kind of going, not a story, this is actually a movie, but same difference. Movies and, and books are very di- are inter- different, inter- different ways of presenting stories. Um, you walked out. Did anybody walk out of um, Infinity War feeling good? Did anybody feel anything was resolved? No. No, nope. except for Thanos. I mean, no, and that is like the exact opposite of what anybody's looking for in a book. <laughs> you don't want to get to the end of a book and go, "Oh, <laughs> Jesus, what the fuck did I just read?" And not because it was bad, but because you don't feel like there's a reason why narrative structure is what it is. Is because it is a, it's like a recipe for storytelling. And when you don't follow the recipe, odds are you're not going to get cake. <laughs> and we all want cake. So, And by recipe, I don't mean follow, do exactly what everybody else does. But there are elements of narrative, the narrative structure and storytelling style and that kind of thing that you have to find your way around putting your spin on, you know, putting your story into that kind of structure. And... And yes, you know. being original is important. Um, standing out is is a reasonable goal, but um, there's a reason why we don't go out and reinvent the wheel every day. Stand out on the merits of your the creative aspects of your story, not on your gimmicks. Because gimmicks are killers. Um, you you get with a gimmick once, maybe, but never again. And you don't build your um your your voice and your skill as a writer on a gimmick.
At least I wouldn't. But you, but you do no, you. No, I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Jeep, Jeep mentioned in the chat that uh, they were reading a series um, that ended on a cliffhanger with the instructions to buy the next book. Um, and then they didn't buy anything else by that author. And it's because somebody at some point told some authors that this was a good way to sell your next book was to leave people hanging. And it worked for somebody. More often than not, it backfires. Because what happens in this day and age of reviews and spoilers and places you can go and look stuff up and people warning people, is people will warn you away. People will warn other readers away from your novel so that they don't feel, get that feeling at the end of feeling like they've been tricked. Because that's the way the reader feels when they get to the end of a story that's not complete. And that is what a book that ends on a big cliffhanger is, to me, is a story that's not complete. And I do, when that, that happens to me, I feel duped. But the thing is, that doesn't really work well these days. Because like I said, people, it worked, it worked at some point. People were selling additional books at one point with that kind of gimmick. But these days it doesn't work as well because people will warn people off and say, don't read this book. It ends in a big cliffhanger. And the other one's not even out yet. So it's a risk. Your story had better be damn good if you're going to put in something like that. I mean, damn good. Like the best thing on the market in your genre. I have a, you know, here's a, and it's a really simple one, and it's actually really broad considering who it's about. Ask yourself, would Stephen King do this? <laughs> and if the answer is no, then don't do it. That's well, really broad, because Stephen King would do a lot of things. And just Stephen overlook King. his whole adverb adversity. Um, yeah. but His adverb hatred is a big problem for me. Yeah, but for the most part, just just think about it. Would, would Stephen King do this? Then no, I should not do this. Because that leaves you wide open, but it gives you some simple guidelines to follow. Yes, you can kill your characters. Yes, you can write horror. Yes, you can destroy the whole world. Yes, yes. No, you can't end your book in a, cliff, uh, in a cliffhanger. <laughs> I can't. Because that's not, that's not good storytelling. It's not good craft. And for all of Stephen King's issues, he is a, he is a master of his craft. Well, hanging for over a decade. Uh, you know, Gina Yule is the worst for that. Did, did anybody else wait two decades for that book? Because I did. Yeah. Well, and leaving a sequel un- unwritten or not finishing it, you know, that's not quite the same thing as leaving a, a story on a cliffhanger. A story unfinished. Um, yeah. Because that is, to me, a cliffhanger is an unfinished story. It means you split your story into two parts, and you are using a gimmick to get people to buy your next book. Um, and the gimmick being, it's one thing to not have everything tied up in a bow. And when you're doing a serial, like um, – Fire and Ice series, George R. R. Martin. When you do a serial, or, or like you know, Lord of the Rings, there are there are things there are, there are loose ends. There have to be because you're laying down plot elements that you're not going to resolve until the end. Okay, that is completely different than a gunshot is fired and you don't know who's dead at the end of the story. 
Is anybody else still butthurt, butthurt about the way Criminal Minds, whatever the fuck Criminal Minds suspect behavior ended? I'm still angry about that. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> I'll be the only thing more over that. Infuriating would be the end of Glades. Did you watch Glades? No. Okay. Glades is, is, is a TV series. It was on USA. It was a, it was about a cop in Florida. Um, it's three three four seasons. Okay, for the the season finale, we we didn't know it was a season finale, and they didn't know it was a season finale until it got canceled after everything was in the can. Sound familiar? Okay, so I guess I'm still bitter about Farscape, even if I did get a fucking mini series. Fuck you. Okay, anyways, um, <clears throat> uh, Glades. Okay, so dude has been chasing after his nurse. He gets her. It's their wedding day. Um, he has bought her her dream home. He goes to the dream home to make sure everything is just the way it should be. He's going to bring her there after the wedding to to show her um, his wedding gift. He's he's bought her literally her dream house. She showed it to him one day. This is the house I've always wanted to live in. And he went and fucking bought it for her. Okay, so he goes to check the house. He's in his tux for the wedding ceremony. The door opens. He turns around, gets shot in the gut. He falls to the floor. The show ends with him bleeding out. And that is the end of the goddamn show. Because they canceled it. Well, that's not nice. And it was a great show. I really enjoyed Glades. I, I liked it a lot. He was he was a great character. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I love the Florida stuff and the Gators and um, the cast was great. And it was just, it was awesome. And then it is right up there with the ending of the original Farscape series. Where Aaron and John are sitting in that boat and he asks her to marry him. And she says yes, and he is, you know, celebrating, and they're kissing, and aliens come up and shoot them, and they disintegrate. (laughs) USA. It was on USA, um, Glaze was. Uh, That's when all you can say is, what the fuck is this shit? But see, the ending of Farscape was worse because we we knew going into that that it was the last episode because they told the production company after the episode was in the can that the show had been canceled. And so we knew about two weeks before the episode aired that, that, that the show had been canceled and this was our last episode. And so I'm sitting there and it's ending so awesome. I'm so happy. Blair, I mean, not Blair, um... Aaron and John are together. There's going to be a baby, and they're going to get married, and he put a ring on her finger, and aliens blew them up. And I burst into tears. I was like, what? <laughs> I was, it was just like... I, I I'd have been like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? My husband come around the, his desk and came sat on the couch with me and patted me. Like, I can't. What do they do? Oh my god! <laughs> oh god, it was terrible. <laughs> Don't do that to your readers. 
No. And really with a book, there's no excuse for it. There really is no excuse for those kinds of shenanigans. I understand that TV shows sometimes they don't they film the last like the crew has filmed the last film last episode but they didn't know it was the last episode because I don't think anybody wants a, a situation like criminal mind suspect behavior. I mean the cast didn't know when they filmed that that it was that that was where it was going to end was on this you know somebody died but literally nobody ever finds out who. Nobody just. No, I doubt anybody wants to be involved in those kinds of shenanigans. So, uh, it's not like. But with a book, you you. It, unless your publisher, unless you've submitted both halves of the book, like you wrote them both and submitted them, and your publisher cancels your contract for the second book, um, <laughs> that's the only time where it's a case of the uh, you know the author is caught unaware by not being able to you know. But still, it's just, I just don't do it. I just find it to be, I hate cliffhangers. It, it, like I said, sometimes it, there can be one really good cliffhanger in a story, and I'm like, that really worked. If the story is complete, it's one reason I don't read books in progress is because fan fiction writers abuse the fuck out of the cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> every fucking chapter is a cliffhanger. And it's like, really? Even if the story's awesome. done, I, I, I will stop reading over that. I really will. If every chapter ends in a cliffhanger, I just stop reading. And people will say to me, they go, oh, what does it matter? You just move on to the next thing. That's not the point. I actually notice narrative structure. I notice those kinds of things. And all I can think about is what, what, what fresh hell is this and why am I doing it to myself? Look, as children of Earth didn't happen. You imagine that. You yes, dreamed you it. it was a bad dream. Over and over again. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't Never happen. happen. Never happen. Mm-mm. You'll wake up, and it won't have happened. Nope. It will have been just a dream, just like Dallas. The whole season will be a dream. And like Coulson. See? Coulson's alive. Coulson's not dead. Wash isn't dead. Leonto's not dead. They're not dead. It just didn't happen. They're not dead. It just didn't happen. Anyways, <laughs> we might have some strong feelings about some of us, maybe. <laughs> so sentinel ideas. Um, part of me, I have this, uh, this this inclination to ride an action and adventure, which is, is terrible because I'm terrible at action. Um, so how in the hell could I possibly ride an action and adventure? Um, well, you're not terrible at action. It just takes... See, I'm, I'm gonna challenge you. You're gonna challenge that a little bit because you're not terrible. Action. It just takes you longer to write action because it's not your <laughs> comfort zone. But when you write action, that's very good. It just takes you longer, so it's frustrating. So you feel like you're terrible at it. Yes, I would spend ten years writing an action adventure. I just, so it's probably not a good idea. But I do like the idea of like um, um, Steve and Tony being um, either, you know. Um, I don't know, in the wilderness or um, on an alien planet or just, you know, it could be Ian Edgerton. That would be hot. So hot. Because, like, what if Tony is, like, taking a break and goes um, camping and he's just, you know, hanging out and Ian Edgerton finds him. He's on the hunt. 
Oh yeah, and there's like an escaped convict in the woods or something. Yeah, that Ian's hunting for. The thing is, you Maybe could take a plot like that. Him. You could take a plot like that, and then have, and then throw the elements on top of that of one of them, one or both of them coming online. <clears throat> Maybe Ian's online, but Tony's not. Or Tony's online, Ian comes online out there in the woods, and you know Tony's the reason why Ian gets through that or something. Ah, uh, still stand in the corner. <laughs> I I can't even get into her lip thing again. I, it it, it just it stops making any sense. She she has lip issues. <laughs> No lip issues, lip issues, duck lip, duck lip don't, issues. It's 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 a whole don't thing. Don't ask her about it. Don't ask her about it. It was it'll just drive she'll you nuts. She'll answer, and you'll get pictures and just. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Ian's lip, so we're gonna put you <laughs> in the bad corner, the one with no books and no margaritas. Edgerton from he, he he was in basically one episode per season of the TV show Numbers. But now, lady, and he's she had to go find a picture where she had to go find the the picture where his mouth is pursed in, pursed in such a way that he has no upper lip. <laughs> Quit enabling her. I've always had the biggest crush on Lyman Phillips. It probably comes from La Bamba. I don't care. Judge me, whatever. I'm not judging you. <laughs> I have no. I think I have no problem with Lou Diamond Phillips at all. I think he's very attractive. Especially, yeah, yeah. See, he's just, it's just hot. It's just gum porn. I don't know. Shut up, ass. <laughs> it's the silent corner. Why aren't you silent? Yeah. You're, you're you're like totally in trouble now. Let's see if the, the gun porn the does. Which is terrible because it's going to end up in my foot. I don't see it. I'm going to pay for that later. I'm saving that picture because that's hot. I like that. Anyway, I have I I always like Ian and, and the, Ian's one of those characters. Well, speaking with since Ron said, we've talked a little about sometimes some characters you can see as either a sentinel or a guide, and some characters you can only see one or the other. So like I'm really I'm actually really flexible about Tony, although I see him more a little bit more as a sentinel than a guide, really, which you wouldn't know because I write him more as a guide than a sentinel, but. The reason that is is because I am flexible about him, but most of the people I pair him with, I'm not flexible about at all. So, like, I don't see Steve McGarrett as a guide. I don't see Ian Edgerton no. as a guide. I just can't. I can't put them in that space. In my, for me, no. I've read. I've I've read Steve as a guide. I think. I think with Danny, um, it, and I think I I think you recall that it worked, but. In general, I just don't, it just doesn't resonate. And what I can do as a reader, we've talked before, what I can do as a reader and what I can do as a writer, completely different things. Um, So what resonates for me as a writer, 
uh, when I'm writing the character, I, it has to resonate for me that that character would be convincing as a sentinel or a guide. And a lot of characters I can see as sentinels. I have there are way more characters I can see as sentinels than characters I can see as guides. So, um, I have I a hard time seeing Ian Edgerton as anything but a sentinel. Um, yeah, he's very primal. Yeah, and and in a in a even in a in a universe that is not a sentinel guide universe, like in my head, if somebody told me, you know, Ian's a secret sentinel like Jim, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I get it, I'm there. I have no problem with that. <laughs> I've kind I'm of all accepted. Because he's practically a sentinel on the show. He's like the best tracker at the FBI. He's a sharpshooter. He has all of. Yeah, that's Don in that last picture. Don Epps in the last picture. Um, he's, he has all the traits of the Sentinel um, in the show. And so when you feel like – if you tried to, like, put guide on that, I think it would break my brain. I don't even think – and there may be a, a – I haven't seen it. There may be a story out there where Ian's a guide. I haven't seen that story. It might be out there. I don't think I would even try to read it because um, – um, I think it would just break. I, I think it just so it's so so against my head canon that I wouldn't pick it up. So some things that so I can read some things that are, don't don't work with my head canon, but not that. That's just one of those ones that for me it's like a hard line. It's it's like parentheses littering the narrative. I just can't do it. Have, have I did have the idea folks? of Garcia being Ian's guide, and the reason that he can function in the field is that he basically listens to her all day. That they um, that he has a radio. And he, and he keeps her in his ear. Um, and uh, when that cop tries to kill her, uh, he tries to do it in FBI headquarters, and and Ian loses his shit. <laughs> <laughs> so. As you do. As you do. As he would. Um I really enjoy Penelope Garcia and Ian Edgerton. I don't know why it it um she's so soft and um and feminine and and bright and um and chatty. And he is the exact opposite <laughs> of all of that. <laughs> and so it just it it, it really works for me. And he isn't. <laughs> That's just all there is to say. He just isn't. Um, but I also really enjoyed writing um, uh, Jack Dalton from the new MacGyver. Um, I think he would uh, definitely Jack, be sent. Jack is a lot of fun. Now, MacGyver is one I could go either way, something or guide. But if, like, if I were pairing him with, with Dalton, which actually I don't really see the chemistry of that pairing personally. But no, if I were pairing him no. with Jack Dalton... MacGyver would by default be the guide by virtue of the fact that I'm more rigid in my thinking about Jack. So, which is, I really enjoyed writing Jack with Spencer. That was, that was really interesting. That was hot. (laughs) It was, it was, I don't often indulge in a daddy kink. I, I have two exceptions for that apparently. And one of them is John McClane. And the other one is Jack Dawson. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, and I am, I am on board. <laughs> I'm on board with both. Um, 
I'm pretty sure if George Ace asked me to call him daddy, I would. <laughs> okay, daddy. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you need. <laughs> That's what you know. want. Um, I enjoyed writing Jack with Tony. Uh, I thought that worked out better than I expected it to. That was only in the one short. I thought about doing it in a longer, about pairing in a longer story, but it seems like these days whenever I start working on longer stories where Tony's paired with somebody that isn't Steve, I just kind of start fizzling out. I can do short stories, but I start fizzling out on interest in longer stories where he's not paired with Steve. It's like I've OTP'd myself, but in only in a novel format. <laughs> the mothership. Except for... Except for um, all aboard. That's, I, have, I have to. I have to correct myself. Except for I seem to be doing okay with him with Tony Stark. Um, There's a lot of chemistry in, there. In, um, yeah. Even in um, um, said, even in Century, which I, I know you're not going there because of uh, of the torch situation, which I thought was hilarious in your last part when you said the torch situation, um, <laughs> extinguishing the torches. Um, they're all like, "What? What?" But. Uh, it uh, there is a lot of ki- chemistry between um Tony and Tony. Um, I wish they didn't have the same name. <laughs> I know. It, it I would write nuts. them all the. I would write them all the time if they didn't have the same damn name. Um, because that name situation, it's just, you know, it. If I I could do the Dom thing over and over and over again, but it would start to feel like my own gimmick. But I guess I guess I can do my own gimmick. I just typically don't like my own gimmicks. <laughs> Once my own thing becomes a gimmick, I yeah the name thing is difficult. And in this in Century, I had to be really careful with, and I probably fucked it up, but I had to be really careful with the name thing, um, because in Tony's point of view, Stark is Stark, Tony Stark is Stark. So, and in Steve's point of view, Stark is Tony, Denozo is Anthony. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to really walk that line very carefully and not violate that. But I don't even know if that's even going to solve the confusion issues between the two names. And Stark almost never calls Tony Tony. He calls him Sparky or Glowworm or Glow Baby or whatever. But yeah, the whole the the, the two Tony thing. I, and the thing is, I people I've had people give me like these pithy little comments about, well, name duplication happens in real life. It happens sometimes. There's three Michaels in the room or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but it's just but that's not the same thing. Um, there's a reason. It's there's super a reason awkward why to write. It, it is. It's very discouraged in 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 written form to have multiple people the same name or even very similar names because it's confusing and it is very difficult to juggle without putting in a lot of extra words explaining which Tony you're talking about or which Michael you're talking about. So the whole, if you, if you're even thinking, if you're even thinking about going to your computer and writing me a sanctimonious email about how name duplication happens in real life. Yeah, I know. Like a, like legit. I, I know. I have my, my, my real name is actually pretty uncommon and seriously I have been in situations where there were three of me. So I get it. I name my real happens. name is super, super, super common. To the point that when I was in elementary school that there were four or five little girls in my class with my name. Um we had one male teacher who just called us by our last name. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> and that is often the solution um, that, that happens when you get name, name duplication, which is why even though um, – Oh, yeah. Is <laughs> um, is that I'm very particular about once characters have hit a certain level of intimacy that they think, you know, whether it's friendship or their family or they are um, um, romantic partners, that how they – this is a function of, of the kind of POV, right? Um, how they think of and refer to that other person is a function of, of their, it, it's reflective of the state of their relationship. So it is super jarring to me when I read stories where um, a son who is close to his father refers to his father by his last name or by his job title. So when I read Teen Wolf stories where Styles thinks of his father as Sheriff or as Stalinsky, it drives me fucking bonkers because it implies a, something about their relationship that makes me deeply uncomfortable. And I know when I look at the dates, I'm looking at stories that were written before we knew what Noah's name was. So I get that they were trying not to violate canon with a name, but I find that whole reasoning to be dumb as shit since the whole function of, of fan fiction is to violate canon. So <laughs> just get over it and give the bastard a name. Um, but anyway, but when you get into a situation where you've got – um, to Tony's, I can't have Tony be thinking of himself as Dinozo because that's not the narrative, that I, kind of narrative that I write. I don't think if he doesn't think of himself as Dinozo. So he's not going to refer to himself as Dinozo. So that leaves him, even no matter how close he and Tony Stark get, that leaves him always referring to Tony Stark as Stark in his, the way he thinks, in his thoughts. And that actually makes me uncomfortable. I have to do it so that there's clarity but it does make me uncomfortable. It would be easier for me to change a name and just deal with getting around that and figuring out a reason for there to be a name change than to sit there and be uncomfortable every time Tony refers to his friend as Stark. It just bothers me. So, But yeah, um, I think it also would be bothersome because Tony does not have a military mindset. A lot of times you can play with a military mindset with them addressing each other by last names because I think that John Shepard thinks about most of the people in his life by their last name. Um, and it's natural where it wouldn't be yeah. natural for someone like Tony Genozo, um, who, mm-hmm. But it is natural for Gibbs. Mm-hmm. I agree. And that's why how a character thinks about the people around them is a function of their character, which is why it's weird to me when Stiles thinks of his father is Stalinsky. Stalinsky's not home yet. You know, he's thinking Stalinsky wasn't home, so he had, you know, he wasn't going to get caught being out. That is really shows a lot of distance. Whether the author intended that distance to be portrayed with that, with that kind of line, that's what it shows. And it shows a tremendous amount of distance in their relationship that Styles would have thought. He was glad Stalinsky wasn't home yet. It's weird. And I, I will hard stop on stories to do that. And like I said, I understand these authors were trying not to give 
the sheriff a name and they didn't know what his canon name was going to be. But come on, your story would have been better for going back and editing in a name if it bothered you in that much, like giving him some name and then changing it later if you had to. But, yeah, someone mentioned that the reason why I I can't have, like in my team wolf story, I can't have Tony in a relationship with a John and then be very close with a John. It's it's just, no, I can't do that. Um, I think that was the last time somebody really got on poking at me about how it happens in real life that people have the same name. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the point. It's a difficult thing to juggle as a writer. So, um, Let me tell you something else that's really difficult to do. I dated a guy, and let's say his name was Thomas. There was also this guy named Thomas in one of my classes that I absolutely hated. Hated this guy, Thomas's guts. But I was dating a guy named Thomas. The first and only time I ever called Thomas during sex, I immediately lost interest in having sex. Because I hated the other guy named Thomas so much. <laughs> that it, like, obviously that wasn't really his real name. What, what, what I'm getting at is that sometimes... Um, no matter if their relationship is positive or negative, your reaction to a name can be detrimental to your intimate communications. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. if I were single, there is no way in on on this planet that I could ever date somebody named Brad. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brad. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you, Brad. I'm sorry. Go go change your name. <laughs> but don't but don't call yourself Brad either. Yeah, no, just 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 don't go there. Uh, sometimes, if you have a hard some, if you have a hard stop with a name, you can you can go to the middle name or something like that. But to, if anybody people anybody who's ever said that having two characters with the same name isn't a problem, I challenge you to go write the the pairing Tony Zanozo and Tony Stark and not have your brain blow up. The pairing. Anybody who's because when Tony pairing, puts his dick in Tony's ass, you're like, wow, his dick must be really long <laughs> and flexible, quite bendy. That's a little bit getting into tentacle territory. That's very bendy. Um, so which Tony did which? So who's which dick was it and which ass was it? Because you don't know because they're both named Tony. It is an issue. <laughs> yeah. And. You know, and people get really bent when you change a character's name. Like, they get really bent. They don't like it um, sometimes when you change a character's name. Even if you're just having them go by their middle name. It's like, but that's not their name. Well, but why do you care? Um, it's like nobody gets mad at me about Alex Shepard. They can deal with that for some reason. But, man, they can get really, you know, wrapped around the axle about Tony going by his middle name. I was like, oh, shut up. I don't want to hear your bitching. Oh, but speaking of telling people to shut shut up and whatever, I was um, at Target this evening because my husband has the man flu, um, and I had to go over to get him some apple cider because he's dying. He's so sad. Anyways, he's not literally dying. He's got stomach flu that I had that I thought was food poisoning that was not actually food poisoning. Anyways, I was getting apple cider, and this dude was, was in my way and I said excuse me pardon me a dude 
he turned around. He's like, what? I said, you're in my fucking way. I have tried to be polite. I'm done being polite. Move. And he stepped back. And I grabbed what I needed. And he's walking away. He's you ain't got to be a bitch. I said, suck a bag of dicks. <laughs> and just kept walking. I was like, I don't even know what that was. I just completely lost all ability to, to be patient. And I'm actually a pretty patient person. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't know it, <laughs> but I am. I am really fucking patient. <laughs> There's just no call for being an asshole in Target. There's just no call. You're supposed to go to Walmart for that kind of shit. Right? He was in the wrong store. Right. It's like, what Target is Walmart, the safe asshole? place. <laughs> That's where we go when we can't deal with Walmart. I mean, sometimes you have to go to Walmart, and you psych yourself up, and you get company, and you wear protection, and gloves, and you go and you deal. But Target is where you go when you can't deal with Walmart. <laughs> You're not supposed to have to deal with those shenanigans. I um, Target has the nice carts, and they have a Starbucks, and uh, you just you can you can browse and and shit, and and everything is really neat and clean, and it's it's hardly ever busy, and it's just it's just where you go to chill out and get a little get a couple of things, and not get stressed out. And here's this asshole acting like he's in Walmart. <laughs> it couldn't have been any worse you're... if he'd have been in Publix. If he'd been in Publix, I might have called the manager because, what? <laughs> acting like he's in Walmart. Do something. <laughs> this, this is, is Publix, not that kind sake. of store. <laughs> <laughs> I do consider Target my safe haven, though, to be, to be perfectly honest. I do consider it a place to go where I can expect to go in and get my stuff and, and not be, you know, aggravated. <laughs> yes. I just, I don't I don't want shenanigans in, in Target. You know, I, I'll have none of that. So, um, we got about 30 minutes left. You want to do a Sentinel plot? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, one of the things I was noticing about a lot of my longer, so this is more of a what else could you do kind of question, but a lot of, I've noticed that a lot of my longer Sentinel plots kind of lean towards political intrigue. And I don't, I don't mind writing political intrigue, but I don't like it well enough for the like 50 plots that I have. So I'm just, I'm wondering if I am like stumped for what else to do with a longer Sentinel plot that... Doesn't you know? Because I I I can write some political intrigue, but I I don't like it enough to, for the sheer number of stories that I've plotted that have that as a feature element. Um, so I'm just trying to think of where else you could go with a longer story. Case file, of course, that's an option. Using the Sentinel Guide abilities to solve cases, because that was beautifully done in The Awakening. I actually had a whole bunch of ideas for case six um and um for for different fandoms, and that's the only one I've ever done <laughs> oh, I got some okay. minds um that probably would be ha- the kind of episode that would end up getting um directed by uh matthew um <laughs> which is probably not a good idea uh 
So, oh. but um, oh, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> right. So, um, if you, if you don't watch Criminal Minds, Matthew Greg Gubler, ever how you say his last name? He tends to edit to um, direct the ones that are really fucked up. <laughs> Really, go, Whoa, really fucked up. <laughs> we have a conversation about Mr. Scratch. I mean, no. I mean, he's what? What? Whoever heard him needs to have a come to Jesus meeting. Um, that that there's some issues there. I'm just saying. He what? My husband calls his boss Mr. Scratch. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, yeah, you could, the the casework that involve, would involve something like a serial killer that could be really interesting. I think that when I when you think about the kind of work that a sentinel would be would gravitate towards, um. I actually kind of touched on this a little bit. I think that the um, law enforcement might start to lend itself towards putting them on the things to smell out, like using the glorified bloodhounds. And I think that that would be something you'd have to kind of guard against, like not letting that it go that way um, in a sentinel society is that things are not going to, we're not going to be treating them like they're just glorified bloodhounds. Um, but um yeah, you could do something really interesting with like tracking people. Um, well, I've got so far. Okay, political case file, natural disaster, manhunt, rescue mission. Natural Elliot, disaster natural disaster really in, the, in the chat room, and I do think I do think sentinels are natural for search and rescue. And guides, too, for that matter, because guides could come in and calm people down. Because um, some, somebody who's not panicking, um, you know, who's not taking up their, you know, available oxygen could potentially be more likely to survive some kind of situation. So I, I think that it would, like, be a natural that in natural disasters and search and rescues that there'd be, like, protocols in place for sentinels and guides to get involved and know how to get involved in an organized way to get in and be, you know, pretty close to first responders in those kind of situations because they'd be able to find people very quickly and help keep them calm. And you could even have guide abilities where, like, guides could help people sleep through traumatic experiences. Um, if they're in pain, they could put them to sleep in the field or something like that. I mean, there's a lot you could do with that um, and write something really interesting around a natural disaster um, or a search and rescue kind of thing. What would be really interesting is to um, have a world where um, Jim Ellison is is known to be a sentinel, um, but he's thought to be one of a kind. Um, and Blair worked hard to create a situation where he can't be misused. So here's he, uh, here's Jim and Blair doing their thing. Um, Maybe they're working internationally for search and rescue or whatever. And uh, what happens if uh, something on a global scale happens, like an alien invasion? And then suddenly Jim Ellison isn't the only sentinel. You 
You could borrow mm. from Stargate. You could do the Ori. You could do Raw. Um, Raw would be really interesting. Um, and that what if uh, did my shit? Is that just Jeep or is it all of us? Um, uh, would be really interesting. Is that what if Raw came to Earth before? out how the Stargate worked. Oh, that's interesting. So they get invaded um, by Gaul. Um, and, and they wouldn't have any, they wouldn't have any clue. No. And Sentinels and guys would come online all over the world. In response, now you could write this from whether it um, it's happening now or it happened in the past, and start it with um, maybe even the Atlantis mission. They figured out the gate. They beat Rat Raw. Um, they're um, they've been to Abydos. Um, They've found the map, um, you know, and just, uh, but the impetus for, for, how you say that, impetus, impetus, for um, Uh the the, um, emergence of thousands upon thousands of sentinels was an alien invasion. And you could begin that story wherever you wanted, like um, the first contact day or a hundred days in or um, a thousand days in or on the last day in the moment of reckoning. That would be interesting. I think that because I would like to personally, I, I would, I would be fascinated by writing that from the perspective of after the invasion, when the world is trying to deal with the fallout of the Sentinels and guides waking up. Um, But you could also just zoom in on like one or two pairings and how they're kind of coming into um, coming online and meeting each other and working stuff out. What would be really interesting is if there was more than one author zeroing in on more than one pairing. It would be like, okay, this is this is the big event that happened. How did it impact Tony Dinozo? How did it impact? Um, uh, Dwayne Pride. How did it impact um, MacGyver? How did it? You know, if you study down in the NCIS universe, you've got you've got NCIS, New Orleans, Los Angeles. You've got Hawaii Five O. You've got Scorpion. You've got um, the MacGyver. new uh, the new MacGyver. You got the new Magnum PI, um, which I know there's some issues there. <laughs> There are also some Hawaii Five O issues actually as well, but um, you've got all these, um, and then you could bring in um, uh, Criminal Minds, which would be really easy to bring into. You could also bring in the cast of Bones, would be really interesting, and have all these different perspectives of what's happening with the alien invasion. Um, you know, it would just be really interesting to to see how, um, how just yeah, like, even this, you know this like. Is our- this is our world, um, and everybody takes a different pairing slash angle on it and goes off and writes. Uh, you have to work with – that's the case where you have to work with a group of writers who could all 
stay on plot because and it's not 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 on plot but on plot's the wrong word but um observe the world building and the overall yeah on point the, you would have to be really faithful to the series bible um and the series bible would have to be written by somebody who um who has a a big scope for repercussions it, it mm-hmm. would you'd want somebody in your group of writers who could um create a world where all of your characters fit and they would have to make decisions about stuff like that it's like okay do we allow teen wolf if we allow teen wolf do we allow um supernatural if we allow supernatural do we have to account for um angels and demons and if we allow teen wolf do we have to account for all the different various animals um and where creatures in teen wolf if we allow grim we have to account for um, that whole set of world building. So when you're having a world builder create a world that a group of authors are going to play in, you have to um, have a very strict Bible. Because you can't have one writer talking about angels and demons and another writer really rooted in science fiction um, uh, where there's no mention of werewolves and and demons and angels and um, it's it doesn't mix. Yeah. But even down to the, there's a lot of different slight, in, within the Sentinels and Guides are known, um, Fanon, there's a lot of subtle variations of, of common things. And not all of them, not all of those variations play well together. And, and so you can't, you have to think about how, you know, things like, especially, we, we, not even especially, but when you get into things like the hierarchy of like how pride structures work versus governing bodies, if you look at like the different fanon about those things, they don't all, they're not all compatible, which is fine. They don't need to be compatible, but you have to put compatible elements together. And so if everybody goes off and does a slightly different version of the governance and the hierarchy or how the Sentinel and Guide bond works or how the spirit plane works, if everybody does a slight spin on that, what you wind up with a lot of contradictions. Where and no cohesive each other. universe. Yeah. Um, and that you'd also like want to keep in mind just... of making sure that like a main role, like if you did Prides and you did a an Alpha Prime, that the Alpha Prime of North America would be the same character in every single story told in the universe. <laughs> right, because they could the point have their own all, Alpha Prime. Right, so. they all exist in... The point is that all of these stories would exist in the same universe, and therefore they all have to have the same governance structure. They have to all have the same war- world-building rules about how spirit guides work. Um, and, like, you can't have spirit guides that talk in one story and ones that don't talk in another because that, those are contradictory elements. So this is a case of where you not only have to have a, a series Bible, but you have to have authors willing to follow the series Bible. And, and there's – you know, and a lot you'd of... also need an enforcer. You'd need someone yeah. who's really strong um, at the base of your of your group of writers who would read all the work and say, no, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. Because this contradicts this story over here. This is a violation of our world building here. Um, and that takes a lot of strength because it's a position of, um, of uh, law enforcement, so to speak. <laughs> Yeah. And, people, and people also, don't like to all be the other no. people in the group have to adhere and say, okay, 
we agree this is our world building. These are our rules. This is our our enforcer and we will pay attention and we will we will behave. You know. And so honestly, I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. You would have it, it would have to be a very special circumstance for me to be involved in something like that on a large scale because um writers are very uh egocentric. I guess Yeah, it and it. it it is a this is but but this whole process is what it's like when you have in, in original fiction when you have um multiple writers working together in the same universe is they have a series bible and they have to adhere to it and there there usually is this enforcer position. Um which isn't just somebody who can get people to follow the rules, but can actually spot inconsistencies. Um, you wouldn't want your strong person strongest about confrontation, but weakest in um, being able to spot consistency issues being in that position. So it's, it's a lot of work to pull together a universe where multiple are writing in the same universe. I, th- I haven't actually read in the universe, but I'm pre- I think that there's a... I want to say it's vampire-based. So I'm sure someone in the chat room is going to know what I'm talking about. Um, but there's a vampire-based, um, large fan fiction epic, Asylum, yes, that multiple writers write in. And somebody, I think whoever created the universe wrote the series Bible about, you know, who, what, what the universe rules are. Because Willow's saying Asylum. Um, yeah, it's it's the Asylum Clan universe. I couldn't come up with the name. Um, it's one of those things that's been on my you know read list practically as long as I've been in fandom. Um, not quite that long. I don't think it existed that long ago. But it's one of those like uh, as far as I know, one of those ever expanding um, universes. And I think there's some core stories and uh, people who other writers who come in and adhere to the the. If I'm telling telling any of this wrong, Willow, just let me know. Um, they adhere to the you know the world building principles, and they're allowed to go and write a story with their fandom or whatever. But that takes a lot of work to put that kind of thing together and to enforce it. And and so there are some there are some examples of this kind of thing that exist in fan fiction. There was some stuff like this in X Files back in the day. Um, but it is work. It is a difficult thing to do. Um, and and like you said, authors authors don't like to be told no. Um, they don't like to be told, you know, but you can't do it that way because that doesn't fit in our series Bible. They just they go, well, then I'm just going to separate out from your series. And it's like, well, okay, whatever. You can't really say, you can't really make them not, but it's just, it can get to be a big old thing. But it just is a purely creative thought exercise. It is it's it's a fascinating idea to do like a, a would to do a series like that around sentinels coming online, you know, en masse in in the wake of an alien invasion or something like that. Um, I think that would be a fascinating thing to do. And, you know, you pick your fandom and you got one person off working on this fandom or that fandom or this if actually especially if you're working in a fandom universe um, you're probably more pairing focused than fandom focused, but um, it'd be really interesting. And it just, I think that a lot of times I find like 
thought experiments more interesting in the thought experiment phase than they are actually in the execution phase because some things are not any fun being in, in the execution phase. And trying to get a bunch of authors on the same page is one of those things that doesn't necessarily sound like a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, I've never read the Solemn and I um because of the the whole um vampires? No, the rape. Oh. Oh, I didn't even know there was rape in that universe. So it's a uh, um Wow, okay. I didn't know that. Um Okay. I mean, I've read stories where rape exists in the past, as long as it's not graphic and on screen, or if it's not portrayed as a positive thing, I can get past it, but I don't read on screen rape. So, um, it could be, I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure why I never picked that series up. I've been aware of it for a long time, but, um, it might've had a hard stop pairing in it for me, but I'm not sure I'd have to go back and look. And it's weird that something would be on my read list for like, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> so. I know they're an interesting like, take like... on a multi-pairing um, idea would be what if when they land Atlantis on Earth, it wakes up Sentinels and guides and they all start heading for Atlantis, which is sitting in what, San Diego Bay? San Francisco, I think. San Francisco Bay. Um, and um, they all head for it. And you write, and each author takes one Sentinel's journey towards Atlantis. That would be interesting. That'd be really interesting. I'm making a terrible face <clears throat> over here. <clears throat> oh, now that's another hard stop for me. I don't read Harry Potter. No magic Harry Potter. That would be a definite I hard stop I don't for understand me. no magic Harry Potter. I mean, that's like I also don't understand no werewolf teen wolf. I mean, what's the point of no werewolf teen wolf? Isn't the whole point? The only time... Can... Yeah, I, I don't know. that is the point. The only point, the only time I read No Werewolf Teen Wolf is when there's usually like some other. Well, that's not true. There's there's been a couple instances where I've read Human AU, but I didn't think I ever would. Um, but usually it's because there's some. It's a fusion with some other like a crossover with a, with a fandom that would invalidate the werewolf thing. Like I get why you might say it's a Human AU if you're writing Sentinel Teen Wolf because you're basically saying your supernatural element is Sentinels, not. Wolves, but in that case, I would expect um, the Sentinels and Guides to be amongst the werewolf characters in the story. Um, and that actually wasn't the case in this one attempt. I made it reading that. Um, Sentinels I did the human AU one with the with the Teen Wolf, and Derek was a firefighter, and Styles was at uh, college, um, and. Uh, they kept having problems with their microwaves in the dorm, and sometimes it was Styles' fault. And um, 
but then also he did it on kind of purpose because he thought Derek was hot and it pissed Derek off that they brought this fire truck out to the dorm and there was no fire, um, repeatedly. Uh, in the meantime, Styles is also hanging out with Derek's sister in her hamburger shop, um, and her, her cafe and she, he's eating Derek's, um, bakery goods. And every time, Styles pisses Derek off. Derek goes and bakes, and then Styles goes to the thing to eat, and he has no idea that he's eating the hot firefighter's food. <laughs> so, you read this charming Teen Wolf AU, and you didn't like send me a link. I don't understand this. <laughs> there you go. Willow Willow has helped us out. Fireman Derek's crazy pie. <laughs> it's on AO3. <laughs> It is charming. Styles thinks Derek's an asshole. Derek is an asshole. Um, it's by Al Post again, and it is on AO3, and it is 17K, and it is fucking adorable. And that is actually the only non-werewolf, teen wolf story that I could, that actually sticks out in my head as, it, as the, I read that. The Apology Brownies. Always the apology brownies. I think you should apologize for brownies. If you can't apologize for brownies, then don't apologize because how sincere could it possibly be if there are no brownies? <laughs> the only one that sticks out in my head is the. It's it's like one of the. I only read like Peter and Styles, and it's an AU AU like that because I have a really hard time with that relationship in a canon setting. But anyway, um, it's it's the one the one where. Peter owns a biker bar and Styles is a novelist and he keeps proposing to Peter because of food. Um, I have, I, I did enjoy that one very much. That was a human AU. So I think, wasn't that a human AU? Yes, it had to have been. Yes, yes, yes. Of course it was a human AU. Sometimes there's really interesting, sometimes there's AU elements that make you, make me think it was a, a human AU and then it turns out it wasn't. There was still a werewolf. There's a tattoo one that I read that I thought was a human AU and then I realized it wasn't a human AU. It was just an alternate setting kind of story as opposed um there were they were actually werewolves. It just kind of flummoxed me for a little bit. Um yeah, where I've kind of gotten past it in certain circumstances with Teen Wolf where you take out that element that I like, which is the, I mean, I, I, only reason I read Teen Wolf for the most part, ever started reading it, was for the paranormal element. Um, but, so, so there's, when you take that out, I'm like, why am I reading this? And, but with Teen Wolf, I kind of got past it a little bit in a couple of isolated instances where I was like, that's just too cute a plot not to read it. But with, with um, um, Magic with, with 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 Harry Potter. I've never gotten past the no magic thing. I don't get it's it. All, it was all the, the couple times I've tried. It's like I was like I don't even like these characters if they don't have magic. <laughs> just, I'm like that's fucked up. But it's like, <laughs> like people even they don't even feel like the same people. So magic is magic is fundamental. I think in the Harry Potter verse, I think that it's always very tempting to check a big event like an alien invasion or, you know, Atlantis landing um, or, you know, um, a really traumatic situation to create your Sentinel. But what I would like to see, and um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I wrote The Awakening the way that I did, is that um, I think it's lovely when it's quiet. Yeah. 
when your pairing comes together with no trauma and everything is, is okay, it's just about them. Because when Jim comes to New York to, to get Blair, everything else falls away. Political issues, the idea that he didn't even want a guide, all of it just falls. It just falls away. The moment he sets eyes on Blair, it's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> there was no big drama. There was no, you know, um, gun battle or anything like that. There was just a little bit of politics, right? You know? And so the idea of, of having something soft and beautiful happen is is intriguing too. So I would like, wouldn't it just be great if Tony's just sitting on a beach somewhere and he's just hanging out, he's just being a guide and Steve McGarrett comes up out of the water and like a fucking god that he is and oh holy shit, there's my sentinel. Where have you been? Have you been in the ocean all this time? <laughs> I should have gone on vacation years ago. <laughs> Steve would be like, why are you on my private beach? <laughs> oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> you can stay on my private beach. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, yeah, baby, you can definitely stay. I had I had this idea. One of the ones that I had an idea um, was... Um, Sorry, I had this idea of like that. There's a lot more, a lot more sapience amongst the spirit guides in the spirit world than than what I typically see in Fanon, and um, that guides were being treated really badly historically. And um, the spirit guides said, "That's it, no more." They they basically shut the whole thing down. And the like queen of the spirit guides or whatever the queen, the, the leader of that realm came to earth of that time which would have been hundreds of years ago and said we're taking the sentinels and guides away you aren't going to have any more to mistreat they just won't exist so we'll keep we'll check in on you from time to time and see if you have grown up and we'll consider letting you have your sentinels and guides back and so i kind of have to rewrite history a little bit where things kind of you know fall into disarray for a long time but that there becomes this kind of ritual this annual or semi-annual thing where they go, um, and I've had a couple of versions of this plot, and I think I've talked about one other version before, but they, once a year, these the spirit guides come back and they check to see is the earth ready yet? And part of how they're assessing that is who's there. And so it becomes kind of an honor thing of like various members of the military and law enforcement and whatnot are chosen like an honor guard for these, this place where the spirit guides um, come back. And it happens that Tony and Steve are come up in a lottery um, one year where they're both there at the same time. And when the spirit guide comes back, (laughs) the the spirit guide comes back and they're both there and she wakes them both up and the spirit. And that would kind of be the most of the story would be about just that moment where, and, and I kind of wanted to do where they meet. My idea was that they meet and they talk and they're getting along and they really like each other, you know, cause they have this duty to be at this place guarding it. They're like an honor guard for this thing. And, um, like the unnamed soldier stuff. Yeah. Politicians and stuff attend, but they aren't realizing that the first sentinel guide are going to be chosen from the honor guard. And, 
um, that's what that's what happens. Is Steve and Tony get to know each other kind of off duty hours, you know, you know, and then the night of the spirit guides comes back, there are these two souls that call out to her, and she wakes them both up. So that was one of the kind of quieter ideas I had. That was more about them getting together and kind of then they'd be the first though, which it kind of does violate the whole idea of Jim and Blair as the big kahunas of the Sentinel Guide world. That doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, That's we're down to 28 seconds. You guys have a good evening. I'm looking forward to this mothership. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone. Mm-hmm.